Welcome to the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. We are in the final hours before the preliminary election for mayor in Boston. There is still a lot that's up in the air, but here's one thing we can say with some certainty. For the first time in the 199 years since Boston's incorporation as a city, its next mayor will not be a white man. Much has been made of the historic field of contenders, and we are taking one last look at the race before the September 14th preliminary narrows the field to two finalists who will square off in November. And helping us do that are two insightful sons of the city. Shagun Idowu is president of the Black Economic Council of Massachusetts. Welcome, Shagun. Thanks for having me. And Larry Takara is a former Boston City Councilor with some firsthand knowledge of running for mayor. He was a candidate in the 1983 race. Welcome, Larry. Great to be here. Uh, Shagun, what have you made of the race overall? We have five major candidates competing on Tuesday. Four are women, all identify as people of color. That's a sea change for Boston. Uh, but has the race lived up to its promise of really opening a new chapter for the city? Well, you know, it's, it's like I said the other day that, uh, you know, for the first time, as you said, in the 199 years since we were incorporated, that uh, the chief executive will not need a crash course in understanding the lived experiences of half of the city's population. Um, I think that's an incredible uh, feat for the city that's been plagued by lots of issues uh, over that history. Um, has it lived up to um, uh, the expectations? I, I think it certainly has. I mean, for me, the great thing about having multiple people of color uh, uh, running in this race uh, means that we're focused on substance rather than the symbolic nature of, uh, of what was just stated. So yes, we are gonna have our first person of color, potentially a first uh, woman mayor, um, but uh, a lot of the race has been focused on the issues rather than just stopping at the fact that uh, the person will be different. And, and Larry, what, what has struck you about the campaign? How has it stood out from, uh, from mayoral races over the decades? Well, Michael, I've been around for a lot of them and there doesn't seem to be as much campaigning because of COVID. And it's very difficult to, for example, walk into a hall and speak to 500 people and have you three minutes and then go to another place. So the, the old fashioned retail politics is more difficult in this environment. Uh, I think all the candidates have been trying hard to get their message out. I get emails, I get texts, I get hard copy mail as well. I think most of the voters in the city do. Um, and I think they're all significantly different people and they have different opinions about police, about development, about the schools. I mean, John Barrows in that first debate basically said, hey, the whole idea of DSEG was to make life better for black and brown kids. I'm not so sure it is. I thought that was an extraordinary statement from a candidate. I think he's probably correct. Um, so they're all out there, uh, all the five major candidates. And I think it's going to be really close. Yeah, let's, 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 let's talk a little about the dynamic of the race at this point. And we have had a fair amount of polling so far. And in, I think, virtually every poll is showing City Councilor Michelle Wu in the lead. And the more recent polls, she seems to be opening up uh, some real distance between herself and the pack. So many thinks, uh, many people think she's a lock for first place now and a spot on the November ballot. And that has really turned this into a contest uh, for, for second place, which will earn 
another candidate, uh, you know, a ticket to the final election. And that seems to be uh, a three-way scramble now between acting mayor Kim Janey and two city councilors, Andrea Campbell and Anissa Asabi-George. How, how does that sort of dynamic look to you at this point, Larry? And, and do you think that's right, that that's the real issue as we go into the, into the final hours here? The real issue is who votes. And the turnout in a mayoral election is about half the turnout in the presidential election. Presidential election runs much younger. It's more single people, more people who are from out of town, for whom who's on the city council just is not as important as the folks who grew up in Dorchester or JP or wherever. And when Walsh uh, and Conley were in that primary with a lot of other solid candidates, I believe the number who voted was 113,000. One of the polls polled people who voted in 2020. And I thought that was a false report because there's no certainty those folks will show up any more than they showed up eight years ago. And they didn't. And traditionally, the people who vote year in and year out are older people. Many of them are white. They're public employees. They're retirees. They're people who've lived in the same neighborhood for a long time. So there's no question as to where the polling place is. And that tends to skew the electorate a bit more towards the middle, remembering that even someone who's thought of as a moderate in Boston is a lefty in most of the rest of the country. Yeah. And Shagun, what do you make of that, that issue around the turnout? Because we keep, you know, we've obviously tracked the big changes in the city's population, the demographics. But I think, what, as Larry suggesting, uh, voter turnout, especially in local races, is kind of a lagging, you might say, indicator of those changes and that the turnout, the more local the race is, the more the electorate looks, frankly, more like the Boston of old than the Boston of today. So, uh, you know, is that a, uh, do you think that's a real dynamic going into Tuesday? And is that, does that worry you in terms of, you know, who is it that's going to be sort of at the table making this decision? Well, low turnout always worries me. Um, you know, I, I think we all want to live in a world where um, as many people as possible are taking part in free and open elections. Um, that's, that's what we, uh, one of the pride and joys of this nation, um, you know, but the low turnout, um, you know, I, I think about my community. I mean, you know, uh, in these preliminary elections, for sure, our turnout is usually much lower uh, than our turnout for the November elections. And I think for a community that wants to see an African-American in the seat and potentially keeping our current uh, acting mayor in this position, it's going to be important that we do turn out. Um, folks will say they want to uh, keep someone on a phone call, but if you don't show up to the polls, it's not going to happen. And that's that's been the conversation uh, that I've um, uh, heard from different friends and family um, so, you know, there's a lot of work to try to get folks out. COVID certainly is, is hampering those efforts, but to be honest, uh, in the past, it's been tough to get people out. I will say too, that, um, what's been interesting is, I don't know if it's because there are so many candidates of color. I, I, I actually, I don't, I don't want to say that, but, um, the lack of enthusiasm in a lot of folks, you know, compared to other races, uh, if there were just one or two, um, I wonder if, if that might have uh, changed things as well in terms of folks really paying attention and being involved and saying, yeah, we got to go out and um, make sure my preferred candidate gets elected. So you're saying that there might be kind of a 
almost kind of perverse inverse effect that this kind of field of candidates of color has kind of in some ways lessened the kind of enthusiasm in communities of color if they sort of say, well, we, we, we see who the field is and we think there's going to be a, you know, positive change in, the, in right. the whoever wins. Yeah, that's right. interesting. So I just wonder on that uh, same uh, sort of, uh, in that same vein, Shagun, there's been this particular subplot, I think, in the race about whether the city will elect its first black mayor, or frankly, even whether one of the three black candidates, who are Kim Janey, Andrea Campbell, and John Barros, will be in the final election. That's not a, a foregone conclusion at this point. I mean, what do you make of that kind of subplot? That is that a, is that issue one that you think is really active and and kind of one that people are focused in on, or or is that more? Uh, I don't know, kind of us chattering folks in the media or pundits that are focused in on it. <laughs> well, that's always the tough thing to parse out. Uh, if, uh, if what the pundits are saying is what uh, uh, is reality on the ground. I mean, uh, for sure, it is a concern. I mean, I, I can say that, um, that a lot of the uh, text threads I'm in um, or the dinner table, uh, six feet apart conversations I'm in uh, are folks uh, really wondering if, uh, as you said, if the three African-American candidates will make it to the uh, to the final round. I think ultimately um, we will see, even though across the city there is usually low voter turnout, I think we'll see uh, a lot of our folks come out for that reason, to try to make sure that uh, an African-American doesn't make it to the top two. Um, uh, at, at, just again, just to at least have someone in that race. I think it would be um, unfortunate if in this historic uh, moment for the city, um, that we come, you know, uh, just that close, uh, but don't actually make it that far, I think, for the psyche of African-Americans in the city, but um, overall just for robust conversation uh, in the final round. You know, there's another variable here, and that is there are open seats for the city council in Districts 4 and District 7. Turnout often comes from the bottom. So if there are 10, 12, whatever the number is, active candidates campaigning at the churches and at supermarkets, wherever they might be, they may stimulate the turnout in District 4, which is, I would say, 70, 75% African-American, and District 7, which is maybe closer to 60. I haven't seen the census figures for this year, but the, I've drawn a few lines in my day, so I know where the people live. And I think all of those candidates identify as African-American. There may be a few who identify as african uh, which is a fascinating development unto itself. Um, but I think that'll help the turnout, up the turnout in districts four and seven. Mm -hmm. And we should just note that uh, not, not coincidentally, those are the two district uh, council seats that have been held by uh, the two black women running here, Andrea Campbell and Kim Cheney. And talk a little about that dynamic that's playing out between them. I think early on in the race, I mean, not frankly, neither... Campbell nor Janie was had a particularly high citywide profile by virtue of being district councilors. They both have had stints as the city council president, which again is more of an insider thing. I don't think that alone gives you tremendous uh, amount of added visibility. And it happens that Kim Janie's turn at that uh, at that position coincided with Marty Walsh's departure, and that is in fact you know why she's the acting mayor. I think that uh, that dynamic and 
people looking back to 1993, you know, it seems maybe every 30 years or so, we have a dynamic where somebody's in the council presidency. Larry, you held that position at, at one time. Uh, and, and it's kind of like musical chairs. It's uh, it's a bit of an honor to hold the gavel and then you your turn is over. But then every few decades, uh, a mayor has, uh, for some reason, uh, another opportunity arises, they leave and and bang, you're in the mayor's seat. And that certainly worked well for Tom Menino in 1993. I think there was an assumption that Kim Janey would kind of parlay this into, if not a certain victory uh, into a full term that she would certainly be, you know, I think a good bet to make a final election with all of the advantages that come with, with that uh, position. She's also held it for uh, several months longer than Tom Menino did. Um, but it hasn't seemed to turn out that way. I mean, we're in a really tight race. The polls are essentially showing a dead heat with uh, between Janie and Andrea Campbell with Anissa Sabi George also right there. Is that is that surprising? And I don't know, what does that say? Does that say something about how she's handled these uh, six months or so in office? They always say an election's a referendum on an incumbent. And here we have, you know, this kind of odd situation where she is a sort of quasi incumbent. Michael, I can't prove it, but it may have been easier for Tom Menino to have been acting mayor for 10 weeks than for Kim Janey to be acting mayor for six months. Because at least in 1993, uh, not a lot of bad things happened over that summer in Boston. And he almost coasted into the final election and then was big time over Jim Brett. And when you're there for six months and let's say the school bus drivers, a bunch of them didn't show up yesterday or the buses were late or whatever the case might be. Good Lord, if you are a parent and you stand in the rain with a four-year-old for an hour and the bus doesn't come, you know what? You're blaming the incumbent. And that's the reality of politics. When I was acting yeah. mayor, we had the blizzard and people blamed Kevin White. He wasn't even in town. So, I mean, it's tough. And I think Kim has had a bit more on her plate than Tommy did 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, what do you think about that, Shagun? And the other thing I just uh, think is a little different is we've had a couple of these candidates, certainly Michelle Wu and Andrea Campbell, they were running for mayor, you know, starting a year ago this month, last September. Um, others, John Barros, had run before. Uh, I think Anissa Sabi George, a citywide counselor, had been eyeing the race. So of the five candidates, Kim Janey is really the one who you had never heard any talk about mayoral ambitions. So it seems to me there's almost a little bit of a, I don't know, mismatch or an imbalance. She's the one who landed in the in the role, having to sort of show if she's up to the job. But of the five, she's the one who hadn't really particularly set her sights on that. And so it, it, is that is that sort of uh, showing itself in these months, Shagun, or how would you size things up? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the sort of difference too. At least, I, I mean, I, I wasn't, uh, I was uh, five years old when uh, uh, Mayor Menino uh, became the, the acting mayor. So I, I can't say whether or not that's just true or not, but my understanding is that, you know, he also had his sights on the mayor's seat. And so the opportunity presented itself. So therefore he was preparing for the role. Whereas, as, as you mentioned earlier, you know, um, uh, acting Mayor Janey uh, is coming from a district seat, and that was her main focus was um, solving the problems that were facing Roxbury. And so for one day to wake up and find out that um, you're now going to be running the whole city, 
uh, where you're focused for the whole time and for the foreseeable future in your mind, you were just focused on one part of the city, uh, I think is, um, you know, kind of tough to, to deal with. And so I think she's done a fine job of having all that thrown in her lap, particularly given all of the challenges facing the city. I also think, you know, even based on how all of us uh, treated her uh, ascension to the role, you know, the, the, for me, honestly, whenever we have changes like this, you know, first black woman in the seat, um, you know, where everyone's been talking about one day we, we need to make sure there's a person of color here and a woman in this seat. I feel like also a lot of expectations were, or there was a lot of high expectations placed on her shoulders that uh, she was just going to come in and solve the problems and, you know, coast to a full term. And I think um, we really did not uh, understand that, um, you know, tough challenges for someone new in the seat to all of a sudden be given these problems to, to manage. So I think she's done an RA job for someone who did not expect uh, to be mayor anytime soon. I would agree with that. And that's, I think, why she's registering in the polls. She's a very decent woman. I don't think any questions that. Uh, the reality is Menino chaired Ways and Means for eight, nine, 10 years. And he was quite prepared Plus, everybody knew Flynn was looking on his way out. And Tommy had also worked for Joe Timothy when he ran for mayor. So I think he had two doses of the mayor disease, which most city councilors, including me, had a very bad case of. So you go to sleep at night as a city councilor, you wake up, you're the mayor, and you got a bodyguard and a car and an elevator of your own. It's And then you wake up, you really wake up, and it's not true. So... I think every council thinks of it a bit. I think Tommy thought of it a lot. And I'm not so sure Kim thought of it as much, given that she was so focused on her district and also very committed to educational issues from uh, her background as an advocate. And um, we've heard, I think, a lot in this race about housing. We've heard about police reform, complicated problems uh, uh, of homelessness and addiction centered around Mass Ave and only at Cass Boulevard. Are there, are there really important issues that, that either of you feel like we just really haven't heard enough about or anything about? Well, Michelle Wu's proposed abolishing the BRA. And I have the paper on my desk at the office. Or the now BPDA. So um, BPDA. And I'm not sure we've heard much of that at all. You know, you're right. That has not really figured uh, that prominently. How about, what, is there things, Shagun, that you have wished to have heard more about that haven't arisen in the race. Yeah, well, I mean, at the forum that uh, we were uh, proud to be able to uh, co-host uh, with Commonwealth Magazine the other day, the first issue out the gate that we brought up uh, as BECMA was about small businesses. You know, all, all of the candidates have some line in their policy platform or plans that small businesses are the backbone of our economy. And, you know, we got to make sure we do what we can to support them, but haven't heard a whole lot in, in a lot of the forums about the detailed plans to, to do just that, just beyond the fact that we have to support them. Uh, and the question that was asked was about um, not just helping to save small businesses who are still experiencing uh, the devastating impacts of COVID-19, uh, especially as we think about the fall and, and the impact that Delta will have on them, but really how we're planning for the future to ensure that small business owners are being strengthened, but that we're um, uh, supporting new entrepreneurs in emerging uh, industries uh, in the city. Lots of life sciences buildings are popping up around the city. So how are we gonna make sure that it's Bostonians uh, or Boston-based businesses that are able to take advantage of that um, and grow uh, in those industries? Haven't heard a whole lot about that 
Uh, and that's going to be vital uh, if we're going to have an equitable uh, economic recovery in the city. Yeah, I'm struck by, you know, the absence of some of that talk. And I guess I also, uh, maybe uh, this is cynical on my part, and I, the, the focus on housing is, is, is obviously, it, it rates at the top, I think, of most polls of issues of concern. And I'm not uh, saying that the mayor can't do something, but it also strikes me as such a uh, sort of macroeconomic problem that affects the region and the state. And I, I wonder if there's kind of, if it's a little out of whack, the amount of attention to it versus the degree to which a mayor is gonna be able to do more than kind of push on that, on, you know, sort of at the, at the margins um, versus uh, some of the, you know, help for small businesses or, or take something like the schools. That's something the mayor really has, has control over. It's very hard to reset a, a, a raging housing market, you know, on the East Coast where, where, you know, all these global forces have conspired and state laws and other things around development have inhibited housing. Um, schools is another issue, which, uh, you know, which I think we've heard something about, but uh, it feels like every, every election we hear about how important it is. It's at least a third of the school of the city's budget. Uh, yet it feels like for decades, we've been talking about the kind of troubled state of the schools. You are both, uh, uh, you know, proud uh, graduates of its system and, you know, sort of maybe like the way Andrea Campbell talks about how it did right by her, but it doesn't do right by a lot of kids. And yet, I don't know, have we heard enough uh, from the candidates beyond kind of broad brushstrokes? You know, we have a school system where a third of our schools are effectively in receivership. They don't say it's receivership, but it's some type of a state influence over what goes on. That was somewhat delayed by the pandemic. That's because they're in the 10% lowest of the state in all basic barometers. And it's not for a lack of money. We're spending a billion three. The number of students keeps going down. We're below 50,000. So we're at like 24,000 bucks a child. We have classrooms which are effectively empty. We have buildings which are heated for, for small numbers of students. We have buses which are empty half the time. Uh, you really got to my opinion, start from scratch. But what, but what do you really think about all this, Larry? Tell us. <laughs> I have plenty of opinions. And on top of it, we have a superintendent who doesn't have a license. Well, although as of uh, today, we're recording this on Friday, I just saw that the test came back and she is now fully certified. So we can check that box off. All right, good. Shagun, what do you, what do you make of this issue of, of the sort of the never-ending kind of evergreen issue of the state of the schools and, and in relation to the mayor's office, because as, as folks know, we've got a, a system in Boston where we handed control of the schools to the mayor uh, back uh, 30 some years ago as part of an effort to increase accountability uh, for their performance. Yeah, I know that there's a, uh, an effort underway to uh, go to an elected school committee because folks are getting tired of um, waiting for uh, the administration, whoever's in charge to, to fix these issues. Um, you know, I, I have to say, you know, going to Boston Light Academy, yes, that opportunity worked for me, but like you said, um, it doesn't translate for everyone else in the rest of the school system. Um, you know, so thing, things have not changed. I mean, I mean, when you say start from scratch, I mean, I, even going down to the, uh, just the buildings themselves uh, are all 
uh, old World War II buildings. Um, you know, I used to work for Councillor Charles Yancey, and that was the biggest thing that he always talked about. And that's why he wanted to build a new school in Mattapan, because all the buildings were built in the 1900s, early 1900s. So I, I actually don't know uh, what the issue is. I mean, to what Larry was saying, tons of money is available. Uh, I feel like a lot of it is that there are a, a, a whole lot of programs that are uh, duplicative, uh, in my understanding, um, you know, there, I guess there just needs to be more. Uh, one of the things needs to be that there's more conversation with parents on the ground, bringing folks in the same room. I feel like um, every stakeholder is talked to in a separate place as opposed to everyone being together to, to figure out how to solve the issue. Uh, lots of top down approach to, to fixing this, which, you know, has resulted in where we are today. Yeah, well, and just to sort of. Uh sort of wrap things up here a little, just both talk a little about um, uh, sort of more on the ground, what, what you'll be looking for on Tuesday. What is it gonna, obviously the order of finish is the first thing everyone's gonna be looking at, but what other dynamics are you gonna be looking at in terms of turnout, where it happens and who turns out and, and how could that provide some clues to what lies ahead in November? Well, you know, it uh, all depends upon the numbers. If the turnout is high in Jamaica Plain, Back Bay, Beacon Hill, South End, I think that's good for Wu. If the turnout is good in West Roxbury and Dorchester, I think that's good for Asabi George. If the turnout is good in the core of the city, in 8, 9, 11, 12, 14, 18, those wards, that's good for uh, Kim, uh, Janie, and uh, it's good for Andre Campbell. And... If the turnout is lower, and I can, if I get turnout numbers at eight o'clock, I can almost predict it. If the turnout is lower in X region or Y region, you can almost determine the result. Well, what, what I will expect on that day is to first um, be on the phone with Larry for most of it to get his ideas on, on where things are headed. Um, and, you know, I, I expect to, I've, I'm actually being flooded with text messages, even in this very moment. Um, I and mean, my phone is on silent, but I can see the messages popping up of folks saying, make sure you get up to vote and all that. So, you know, I will hope to see a huge ground game from all of the candidates, the folks running for mayor, folks running for council, um, to, to mobilize and get folks out uh, to the polls. Because, you know, to be honest with you, I, there are folks who, um, even during some of the forums uh, uh, earlier in the week, uh, who can't tell the difference between the candidates. Um, so I think that's been an interesting uh, development as well. So I hope to see more folks from the campaigns getting folks to the uh, polls because I, I think there are some people also who don't know that it's primary day as usual. So that's the hope. And we'll be lending ourselves to that as well. We will just leave the conversation then at that and echo that call if you're a Boston resident on Tuesday. Make sure you get out and vote. And uh, with that, I want to thank you, Shagun and Larry, for this great conversation. And um, thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. We'll see you next time.